0: Amen. Open up your Bibles with me, 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, they told me I could preach twice as long in light of the uh, Haiti presentation. Sound good, Ville Church? Good? Yeah? Yeah? Don't worry. We'll be out of here by noon again. Well, we are in a series called Impossible Love, and so I want to explain both of these words for you. And the word love that we're going to talk about this morning is one specific word in the Greek language. Um, And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 100% of the time that you see the word love, it is the Greek word agape. Can you say agape? Agape. Agape. Every time it comes up in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what it means. And at its core, at the very base, it is sacrificial love, but in this context, when it relates to how Christians love one another, here's what it means. Agape love is a life posture of joyfully giving your best for the best of others. Is it agape if it's joyless? The answer is no, and this is what makes it so hard, is that it's not just something you do one time, But it is a life posture of sacrifice where the sacrifice is something that you and I are happy to do. Um, Why do we call this impossible love? And I want to just make this really clear on the front end so we're all on the same page. This is impossible because unless Jesus is inside of you, you cannot do this. Unless God himself does this through you and transforms you, this kind of love is utterly and totally impossible. Every version of sacrificial love that you see on this planet that is apart from faith in Jesus is a mirage. It's a second place love. It is not originating in God. And so um, I want you to just listen to this very short verse from 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 22. And here's what it says. <clears throat> love, agape here. Love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. And he gives two, we'll say, just descriptions of what agape love does. It is earnest. And here's what that means. It means it is continuous. It goes on and on and on and on and on. I mean, sacrificial love is easy once. Can I get an amen on that one, right? It's near impossible to do it for a lifetime with joy. This is why we step back and we're like, whoa, how do you earnestly love one another. And so Paul or Peter would look at us and he would say, no, you keep going. Earnestly, joyfully, keep giving your best. And then he goes on and says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. No ulterior motives. No anything other than pure altruism. Do you know what altruism is? Altruism is a, uh, an act of complete sacrificial love where the person acting gets nothing of benefit in return. Altruism is a near impossible quality to find, right? And and so here's what he says. You need to do this from a pure heart. And when you read this, you should be stepping back and saying, are you kidding me? This is insane, and this is absolutely impossible. How can I possibly do this? And then the next words give the answer. Since or because you have been born again. And so he steps back and says, agape love, agape love that is continuous and agape love that is from a pure heart whose motives are absolutely pure. Here's where it begins. It begins when you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read very simply about love, hopes, all things. And I want to look at you if you're a non-believer and just say this. I so badly want you to be able to love with agape love because there's so much joy and life that comes from being able to do this. But this kind of love is impossible unless you first come to Jesus Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, and have him start to change your heart. Uh, follower of Jesus, Christians in the room, um, we have the Holy Spirit, and this is, feels still impossible, right? And so this love, it is an incredible standard. It is continuous, and it is pure, and it is, feels impossible. And I, I, and I would be just remiss to say, to say to you, get out of this room and love perfectly. Be agape. You cannot. What you can do is you can get closer. What you can do is you can press on a little bit further. You can be a little bit more pure in your motives. And this is where we have to go before God and say, I don't have continuous, pure, sacrificial love inside of me. God, I need you to transform my heart. Because this is not possible without you. And if you're in a position where God has given you this ability to like more sacrificially love with a joyful heart, This is evidence of the Spirit of God inside of you, and it is a beautiful thing to watch happen. So anybody can love for a moment. Some people, let's be honest, some people can love for a season, but only those with heart transformation can love for a lifetime. Anyone can fake agape. We see it all the time. Anybody can do something sacrificial, but if you're going to be agape, if you're going to be joyfully sacrificial for the best of somebody else. It requires a heart transformation. So in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, we saw last week, love covers all things. Um, love pours grace over every single infraction. How many of you have done that really well this week? Don't raise your hands. A, <laughs> you're all lying. Uh, love Trust all things. Love gives the benefit of the doubt, especially and even when the person fails over and over and over again. Does that feel just impossible and insane and illogical? And this is the point. The kind of divine love that God has for us, it's impossible. It is so hard. But what we do is as we experience transformation through trusting in Jesus Christ, this becomes more and more real. And so this morning, love, Hope's all things. So what is hope? Um, There are four major understandings of hope. They're all kind of close, but we'll go through these. And sometimes the Bible, when you see the word hope, um, it really just means this. It's wishful thinking for a desired outcome. It's like, "Ah, I really hope that happens, we'll cross our fingers, and I hope I get to see you soon. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's talking to a group of people and says, I hope I get to see you. And it's this idea of, I hope it all works out, I'm crossing my fingers, uh, we'll see if this is what's going to happen. Number two, when you read the Bible, you'll see the word hope is a certain expectation that requires little convincing. Uh, I know that this is going to happen. And so this is not typically the way that we use it in the English language, right? Um, Hope um, in the Greek term and the way they use it is just a confidence that something is absolutely going to happen. Um, Hope for us in the English language, again, it's more like optimism or um, I kind of wish, you know, cross my fingers, hope it happens. But the word starts to take on this bigger, bigger um, form when we get into the New Testament. Number three, is certain confidence of a forthcoming salvation in Jesus. And uh, when you see the word hope, this is oftentimes what we talk about the most. Um, Hope is this. I know that I know that I know that Jesus is coming back and my future is 100% secure. Like, I know this. You can't change this. I know this. And this is actually called hope. But here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Relationally, Between you and me, which is what's happening in 1 Corinthians 13, this is about what does it mean for me to love you with hope? Because love, for one another, hopes all things. Or one version, I think the NIV says, love always hopes. So what does it look like real time in our relationship for me to love you with agape and always hope? Here's what it means. Despite feeling the pain of the past and the present, Hope is expecting the best is yet to come for followers of Jesus. Despite feeling the pain of the past and the present, expecting the best is yet to come for followers of Jesus. So in this context, hope is not hope in God necessarily. We are hoping for other people. So this is fundamentally relational. I want to make something, I think, very, very, very clear here. This hope is not something that we can give to non-Christians. This is talking about hope that goes from one believer to another believer. Why? I can look at you if you're a follower of Jesus and say, I believe without a shadow of a doubt The best is yet to come in your life, number one, because you have the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promises to finish what he has begun in you. Number two, I believe that Jesus is coming back, and that he will perfect you, and that he will take every ounce of sin away from you. I have hope in Jesus Christ for the believer in Jesus, but if you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I actually don't know that you're going to trust in Jesus. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is going to save you and transform you and take this out of you, if he's going to redeem you and make you more and more into the image of Jesus. And so here's what I want to make really clear. Love towards non-Christians isn't hopeless, but it doesn't hope all things. When I look at a non-Christian, I have high expectations and high hopes that God can save them and God can do this. I have no doubt about the power of God in their life. I am not hopeless. But when it comes to my relationship with them, I do not have absolute, certain, 100% confidence that they will overcome this sin or this trial, that they will trust in Jesus. And until somebody really trusts in Jesus, I cannot hope all things for them. And so, in in your notes, um, we have number one, hope feels the pain of the past and the present. And the present, the present. (laughs) Hope feels the pain of the past and the present. So I want you to get this about agape because I I think when we read this, um, we tend to think agape is really naive. Uh, We talked last week about agape um, does not just sweep things under the rug. And I want you to hear me on this. Agape love is not naive. It does not just sweep things under the rug. It faces pain of the past and of the present head on. It calls it what it is. A good, agape relationship is not afraid to confront. It is not afraid to call something sin. It is not afraid to bring safe people into the discussion or the disagreement to see resolution happen. Agape love is not afraid of reality. Agape love, agape hope faces reality for all of its pain, for all of its ugliness. Conversely, in all of its beauty and all of its optimism, but it looks at it and it sees it for what it is. And there are some people, we just watch this, where they just kind of act like it didn't happen and they just go on with their day. And for them, they think they're hoping all things by not bringing anything up. And all you're doing is allowing sin to continue and not going at it at its core. And so I want you to understand, but when we talk about love hopes all things, love looks at another believer, and it believes the best is yet to come, but that is not ignorant of the present discomfort and the pain and the wounding. I think an honest assessment of agape hope is this. It is discontent by nature. You can look at something. If you have hope, do you want it to be better? The answer is say yes, yes, which means it's not as good as it could be right now. And so when I look at somebody and I see a falling short of the glory of God, I see sin in their life, I see sin in my life, I can look at them and say, I truly optimistically believe that if not on the day when Jesus Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead, I believe before then, soon, God is going to resolve this sin issue in your heart. In fact, I'm confident because um, the very God who is in me is the very God who is in you and he has the power to do whatever he wants. He has promised me that he will finish what he has started. So here's the question. You're bickering with your spouse, right? You're bickering with your kids. You're bickering with your friends. Do you, to the core of your being, believe, if they're a Christian, that they will get past this. This is not final. This does not define them. And that God will transform them. I mean, I know you know it. Hope does not just know the things that are going to happen. Hope feels it and it believes it in the core of its being. Hosea chapter 2, I want to remind you um, about Hosea and Gomer. Hosea is this prophet. God comes up to him and says, I want you to love an adulterous woman. In fact, the Bible uses really harsh words. He calls, God calls the woman, Gomer, a whore numerous times. I mean, this is not an upstanding citizen, if you will. And uh, God looks at Gomer and says, I want you, I want you to love her. And I want you to love her the way that I love you. And I imagine Hosea had some resistance to this. And so he goes and they have a child. And then they have at least three children, one of whom, probably two, are illegitimate children, meaning she cheated on him, bore children of other lovers, and then Hosea is stuck raising these children. Well, by the time you get to chapter 2, and between chapter 2 and chapter 3, she's left. She's gone. Um, She's selling her body. She ends up um, being a sex slave, being sold um, to other men. In chapter 2, while she's gone, The Lord, um, knowing that he has called and chosen Gomer, uh, knowing that he's called and chosen Hosea, looks at Hosea, and he's trying to encourage him. And it's like, okay, so if you're Hosea, is Gomer hopeless? Um, I want you to imagine that you are Hosea. Do you go to bed every night expecting tomorrow she's going to come home in repentance? And the answer for most of you is no, it's too painful to hope that much, right? It's too painful to live every day with such optimism, when statistically speaking, she's probably not going to come home. And in chapter 2, verse 15, God is speaking to Hosea about the optimism and the expectation that he should have for Gomer. Here's what he says. God says, I will give her her vineyards and I will make the valley of trouble, which is her whole life, (laughs) a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And God looks at Hosea and says, the one person in your life that legitimately everybody in the world can look on and say, she's hopeless. She will never change. She keeps doing the same thing over and over again. God looks and says, right now her whole world is a valley of trouble. Everything. She's lost, she's running, she's fleeing. And God looks and says, You far underestimate, A, what I can do. And he looks at Jose and he says, you have hope. You have to wake up every day and expect that she's going to come home because when you give up, you'll move on with your life. And she's your wife now. I don't care where she is and what she's doing. She's your wife now. And so you love her and you love her by hoping and you trust that God will do a work in her heart and he will bring her back. And this is a valley of trouble, and it's pain, and it's gut-wrenching. But can God and will God redeem this situation? And he wants to look at Jose and say yes. So there's this thing, we call it the agape filter. And the current pain of your relationships, anybody experiencing any pain in your relationships? Some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand on that one. Okay, I'll raise my hand. Some of you give me pain, I give you pain. How's that? Uh, All current relational pain goes through the agape filter, Okay. Um, It goes into your brain, it goes through your heart, and then what comes out of you is the result of the kind of filter you have. So I went to the optometrist about two weeks ago, and apparently my prescription changed. And uh, so she takes off my glasses and says, what can you see? And I'm like, nothing. Like, literally, I see nothing. And she's like, it's 10 feet away. And I'm like, literally, it is a big blur of white everywhere. And, uh, And so then she keeps... Giving me clearer and clearer lenses, and all of these things are happening. But what's being processed and what's coming out of me? Like I can't see a single thing of what's going on. It's a filter. And so as she gives me these new lenses. You know, they click the screen. Some of you who have great vision, you're terrible people. I can't believe you. I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, but she's clicking the thing. You know, and it's like clear, 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 right? And then what I'm like really need is I need a filter over my eyes to allow me to see things for the way that they really, really are. And what happens is all of life comes in and it gets blurred. And I need God to come in and give me glasses that allow me to see the pain of my life through his lens. Because everything is blurry until we get his glasses on. And some of you, you wear red tinted glasses and you're angry at everything. And God needs to give you clear lenses that have the right prescription so that when you look at the pain and the hurt of your relationships, you can step back and say, how does God see this? Does God count this person who's trusted in Jesus as hopeless, out for the count, never to be redeemed, always to fail, continually does the same thing over and over and over again? And the answer, everybody just say No. No, God doesn't treat us like that. And so I think if we could even just make it a little more tangible, God wants you to treat the person who keeps failing you the way he treats you by the way the person who keeps failing him. Like, you know that optimism that you want God to have in you? You know that, like, idea, like, hey, I see you for who you can be. I'm going to treat you out of your best. I'm not going to punish you continually for all the times you fail me. You know that sense when you go before the Lord in prayer and you have no sense that he's punishing you for all of your failings? You just feel safe? Like, you know that feeling? Give that to the person in your life who keeps messing up over and over and over again. What stands between us and Agape? Pessimism. When the pain of the present blinds me from the power and the promises of God. When the pain of the present, whatever they're doing, blinds me from the power and the promises of God. Did God promise to finish what he started in every single believer? The answer is yes. Can I endure between this day and that day? We'll come back next week and we'll find out if you can. Pessimism writes people off. Says, you're a lost cause, you will never change, this is pointless. Could you ever imagine Jesus saying that? Could you ever imagine Jesus looking at you, a child of God, and saying, you're a lost cause. This is pointless. What's the point of even trying anymore? And we come back to this point where we just say, love people with just an ounce of the hopeful love that God gives us every time we come before him. Number two, love expects the best is yet to come. Divine hope is, by nature, optimistic about the future, especially in difficulty. Okay, so I was studying this, putting this together, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to admit it, but I'm kind of a pessimist. (laughs) You know, like... Like the, when life goes through the filter, the agape filter of my heart, I'm like, whoa, like I need a little bit more optimism for my fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Christians are so, she is so, he is so. Can you believe they? This will never change. Oh my goodness, this is going to go on forever. Now do you say those things? Well, some of you do, but do we think these things? More than we would ever, ever like to admit. But, but divine hope, agape love, actually has a natural optimism Four brothers and sisters in Christ. I gotta say, this is where I got the most convicted. And I'm like, man, God, give me your lens, your filter to see broken people who fail over and over again the way you do. How about this, God? Would you allow me to see them the way you see me, someone who fails you all the time? I think this is insane. I've said it every week that we've done this. I think it is absolutely nuts to hope all things for Christians. But the only reason I say that is because I am so prone to take God out of the equation to forget the promise, promises and the power of God over every single person who has the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in them, God is not done. If the Holy Spirit is in them, God is not done. He will finish what he started. You're looking at your spouse, and you're like, will they ever get over this? And the answer is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Absolutely. If you lose hope, you'll begin to treat them out of hopelessness and you will find bitter roots grow in your heart. Divine hope, divine agape love, it's really an act of faith. It's what it is. You can't prove it. You can't see it yet. But because God promised it, you believe that God will transform this person. I was thinking to myself, how does Jesus do this real time and? Of course, Peter, who is kind of an imbecile. If you just think about Peter, like you read about him and you're like, come on, dude, what are you doing? And in Luke chapter 22, um, verse 31, I want you to hear what Jesus says to him. Um, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And so Satan came before the Lord and said, give me Peter, I want to destroy him. Jesus says to Peter, but I prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And here's what he says. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You may just read over that, but here's what he said. You're going to utterly fail. You are going to massively, massively fail. And when you return, when you get your senses back, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and to death. By the way, this is like the day before Jesus is (laughs) going to die. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And the shame of Peter's life is denying Jesus, and Jesus still, even though he knows the inevitable failings that are going to happen, looks at him, and I think this is what Peter would say, love hopes all things, Jesus hopes all things. Then he goes on, in John chapter 21, they're reunited after the death, resurrection of Jesus, and here's what happens. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Get off my back. He said to him, feed my lambs. Why would Jesus give such a failure the privilege to feed his lambs? And I think if you were Peter, Peter would say, Jesus never lost hope in me. And it wasn't because Peter was innately good. Because Jesus never underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit that was going to fill this man. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then after saying this to him, he looked at him and he said, follow me. Would you have given Peter this opportunity? Would you have given Peter the second, third, or fourth chance? Would you have given Peter this amazing opportunity? privilege. And the answer is, for most people, we would have said, no, Peter's disqualified. Let's go through a season of proving yourself. And Jesus looks at him, and he just says, I have hope in God for you. I know that the Holy Spirit is going to fill you. And because I know the power and the promises of God, I can look at you and say, you can do this. Can you do this in your own strength? No. Will you utterly fail and do ridiculous things? Yes, but I don't define you by your failures, and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And Jesus can look at Peter, and I think Peter can look and say, Jesus hopes all things. When he looks at me, he has utter confidence in the power and the promises of God. Hope says to the struggling brother and sister, you are not hopeless. You are not a lost cause. I'm still holding out hope for you. I will never give up on you. Hope says to my children, I can't wait to see how God uses you. Here's one. In the midst of their failing, when they've gotten caught and exposed, Hope says, I can't wait to see how God is going to use this. Jesus will give you the courage. I keep thinking, as the sun rises every morning, your adolescence will end. <laughs> Hope says to my spouse, I mean, think about this. Like, put, your, put your husband or wife in your brain. You can overcome this. What is this? Their tendency to harm you and to wound you. This will improve. Let's start over. God will absolutely help you. God can heal these wounds. I want to close, and I want to just share with you a reality about love, agape love. Um, There are battle scars all over this church, and the battle scars are of people who have loved with agape love. Because agape love puts up no walls of protection. It is easily wounded. It is very vulnerable. And if you're going to love in such a way that you cover all things, and you believe all things, and you hope all things, it necessarily means you're going to get wounded. I don't care who you are. When you get married, you are giving this person the most vulnerable parts of you, and you are saying, bring me great joy or bring me great harm. And you're trusting them to do this. And this is gut-wrenching. And if you're going to love well, it means you're going to have to open some parts of you up. And you're going to have to start taking down walls, especially with your spouse or with your children or with your best friends. And you're going to have to start to learn how to cover and trust and to hope in the power of God. Now, the most painful kind of wounds are the ones that you don't expect. But what if you know, going into this relationship, whatever this relationship is, with another believer, it's going to hurt Bad. It's going to be gut wrenching. Does that change your expectations? Does that change the way you think about it? And here's the commitment we make in marriage I know it's going to hurt, and I'm going to love you anyways. And I'm making a a decision in my life to open my heart to you and to allow you to wound me, and I'm going to continue to walk this path, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to continue to cover your infractions with grace, and to trust in our God who is in you, and to hope that our God can transform you. I'm going to continue to pursue this end. It is one of the most vulnerable places you can possibly be. I think people who love well have a lot of battle scars, uh, but every one of those scars is a reminder of the power and the presence of God in our fellow believers, that God can't overcome and transform anybody, no matter how bleak it might be. So I don't know where God is expecting you or asking you to love in such a way that you hope all things, but here's what I know. The Holy Spirit probably in every one of your minds is bringing up somebody who is a believer that you've lost confidence in that you don't believe they will ever get past this, that you believe that they have reached their end and you're like, they are a lost cause. Who in your life is a lost cause that is trusted in Jesus? And I want you to just erase those categories out of your brain, repent of them, and start praying for them like crazy and pray for yourself that you can begin to see them as God sees them. Nobody who has trusted in Jesus Christ and has the Holy Spirit is outside of the transforming, powerful work of God. So I want to invite our worship team to come up, and I want to close. I want to pray for you, and I want to ask that God would give us continually, honestly transformed hearts to do what is so impossible. Father, I just want to confess to you that I love to protect my heart. I love to selfishly love um, I don't want to be wounded. Nobody wants to be wounded. But Lord, as I look to the cross, love costs you immeasurably more than I could possibly understand. And Lord, I thank you that you did not build up walls with us, but you gave us your very best for our best. You sacrificially gave your life for our joy and our life. Love covers all things, trusts all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God, you have loved us so perfectly. You cover us. You trust us. You have hope in us, not because we're good, but because you are in us and you're working. And so, God, I pray as we think about how to love one another well, that we would begin to see one another with your lens. Lord, I pray that we would work less on protecting our own selves from pain and more on giving our best, because it's exactly what you do. So, Father, I want to thank you for Jesus that he paid the price for every one of our sins, every one of our failings, every single moment of our day and our hours where we fail and we cease to love others well. I thank you, Lord, that we can get up and we can start again and the Holy Spirit is working and transforming and creating in us a new heart that hopefully every day just loves a little bit more like Jesus does. So, God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen.